As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply the best investment that you can make right now in these volatile, uncertain times would be in your brain. So if you have not adopted mindfulness or meditation or something else that allows you to manage your thoughts, I would highly recommend it. We, I think oftentimes we have this tendency to expect or require the people in our lives to fully support and express, you know, 100% approval of this, these dreams that we have. Um, and the reality is those people just want you to be safe. And so you have to be emotionally prepared to go against the, the point of view that some of the people that may love you the most uh, have with respect to your dreams. And so that's my wish for everyone coming out of COVID-19 pandemic is the courage to say what you learned, <laughs> what, what this revealed to you. This is Julian. And this is Kirsten Saunders. And you're listening to Dreams and Drive. Hey, Dream Drivers, welcome to episode 239. And today our guests are Julian and Kirsten Saunders. And I am really excited for today's topic. It's something that I think a lot of us are thinking about right now. The topic of financial freedom. Is it really attainable or is it just a dream? And we're going to be talking about how Julian and Kirsten were able to achieve this goal of financial freedom. And they're going to take us along their dream driving journey and all that they had to navigate. So the couple are the masterminds behind the award-winning blog, Rich and Regular, They also are entrepreneurs, investors, aspiring early retirees, and soon-to-be-published authors. And both Julian and Kirsten are going to explain how they were able to come together as partners and really carve out a path for their lives that they both knew would change their future. They're going to talk about the challenges, sacrifices, as well as the wins that they have encountered over the years. And one of the things that I think you'll really enjoy is they're going to be sharing their favorite tips and strategies that you can use to jumpstart your own financial freedom journey. So some of the things that we're going to discuss in this episode include how the couple were introduced to the FIRE movement, the importance of mindset, the hardest part of their financial freedom journey, how you can set financial goals. And finally, we're going to be talking about COVID-19 and how this is impacting their work, their future, and just what we think about work and money in general. This episode was recorded in late March, so it was near the beginning of the pandemic. We still didn't really know what everything would look like. So it's interesting to hear what our reflections were in March, and now that it's May, there's so much more that can be added on there. 
I hope you guys enjoy this episode. If you do, please make sure you're sharing it on social media. You can find us across the board. We are Dreams and Drive on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure you're screenshotting and posting this link everywhere. Instagram stories, Twitter, your Facebook feed, LinkedIn, wherever. Also, make sure that you are subscribed wherever you're listening so that you get notifications every time we have a new episode. And if you want to support the show, the best way you can do is by going to dreamsanddrive.com slash donate, or you can shop the Dreams and Drive store. We have Dreams and Drive t-shirts, crew neck sweatshirts, and aprons available. Lots of cool colors. Thank you to everybody who has been buying. I really do appreciate that support. And I love seeing y'all rocking y'all DID gear. So just visit dreamsanddrive.com slash shop. That's dreamsanddrive.com slash shop if you want to buy something. All right, let's get into this episode. Hi, Julene and Kirsten. Welcome to Dreams and Drive. Hi. We're so excited to talk. I'm excited to chat with you guys as well. First of all, because you guys are rich and you're regular, right? (laughs) (laughs) More regular than rich these days, but yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. I think our, you know, our dream drivers listening in are going to be in for a treat today because I think a lot of us, you know, during these times are trying to figure out how can we prepare for our futures as well as kind of live lives that we, we enjoy and we find purpose and fulfillment in. So I know that you guys have a story to share today. But let us first, you know, go back in time. I love, love, love to kind of go back to the childhood days, right? Um, Put on your reminiscing hats right now. Uh, Julian and Kirsten, what were inspiring you guys as children? I'm pro- We probably didn't know each other, right? But individually, tell me, tell me like who was the young Julian, who was the young Kirsten? Ooh, um, so I'm originally from uh, Brooklyn, New York, born and raised, um, grew up in the 80s. Um, aging myself a little bit, but I think what really inspired me was uh, Manhattan. Um, my mother worked in Manhattan in a hotel. My father worked in Manhattan in a hotel, uh, and I, I would go uh, every now and then and take the train, you know, normal stuff, just to get to the city. And, and honestly, like just like a tourist, you know, almost, I would be really just like blown away by the vibe and the energy uh, and the people that I would see in Manhattan, because back then you didn't see those people in Brooklyn. You know, it was like, where are these people, you know, and just imagining what their house was like. And so it was almost as if I was a tourist uh, in a sense, because I felt like Manhattan was like this far away place. And I could see it literally from um, the roof of my building, you know, but mm-hmm. I was always in and out and, um, you know, I was just really just caught up. Like I think uh, a lot of people are with, with the magnificence of uh, New York city, uh, and Manhattan. Did that influence like what you thought life was supposed to be like as an adult? Meaning like, did you kind of think, all right, I need to kind of get to this level of something so I could live in a place like Manhattan one day? <laughs> Um, I actually, it did, it did the opposite. Okay. It, it felt so far out of reach that I just kind of never thought that I could ever <laughs> be that person. It was like, you know, it was almost like getting on the train and going to like a fairy tale land where people apparently live. Like I genuinely didn't understand how people could live there because I, I couldn't imagine it. I just knew where I lived and where, you know, what our neighborhood looked like. I, I couldn't imagine, you know, actually living in New York. It wasn't until I was like a teenager that I met people that actually lived in Manhattan and I was blown away. I didn't I didn't think that people actually lived there. So, yeah, it actually suffocated uh, my dreams uh, come to think of it. OK. Kirsten, what about you? 
I think I was inspired by stories a lot as a child. So I grew up in the South in the Bible Belt. I was born in Texas, raised in Atlanta. And so I was in church all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, Sundays I would hear stories about the Lord. Wednesdays I would hear stories about the Lord. Saturday night I'd be singing stories about the Lord at choir rehearsal. Um, and then when I wasn't at church, I was always like, I was a bookworm. So I was always reading. I was always writing. Um, when we visit families, I have one of those country families that sit around on the porch and tell stories. And so I was listening to the elders tell stories about, you know, back in the day when they used to walk five miles in snow and pick cotton and whatever other lies they were telling. <laughs> but, um, I have always been inspired by hearing and, and telling other people's stories. Okay, so then what were the plans for both of you guys as you headed into college, right? Because I, uh, you you hadn't met yet. You're living these two individual lives. Kirsten, what was like, you know, what was on the checklist for you post-college? Like, I'm going to do this. This is what my life is going to look like. Oh, man. Post-college, I had a view of the world that was very much like what was on TV, I had a goal to make $100,000 before I was 30 and like live in, you know, high rise apartments and work in corporate America and be like a boss. Like I just knew I was gonna, (laughs) I was gonna be a big deal corporate lady. I didn't know exactly what I was going to be doing, but Mm -hmm. I just knew that, you know, I, I, I wanted to be a big deal, like somebody in charge. Okay. Okay. And then Julian, what about you? Uh, my worldview was not nearly as uh, vast <laughs> as, as Kirsten's. I just did not have that kind of perspective. Uh, we moved down to Atlanta like millions of other New Yorkers um, shortly after or right around the time of the Olympics. And so in the late 90s. Um, and when I graduated high school, I, I literally two and a half, maybe three weeks after graduating high school, I went straight into culinary school. And so I was convinced at that point in my life that I wanted to be a chef. And I did become a chef. I, I cooked professionally for about seven years um, and eventually just kind of phased out of that and moved into other parts of the restaurant, hotel and hospitality industry. But yeah, that was all I wanted to do. I, I think my dream back then um, was because my family is from Jamaica. Um, big up, my, big up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my, my dream back then was to learn how to cook uh, at a high level and then go to Jamaica, uh, really master the cuisine at that point, And then, you know, I would then help to take Jamaican cuisine worldwide, you know, farther and beyond where it already is and refine it a little bit. That was my dream. Uh, back in the late 90s. Um, clearly, I did not accomplish that. <laughs> no, but you know what's so interesting? Isn't it amazing how like dreams can morph, right? Depending yeah. upon where you are, your viewpoints, who you meet. Because I know for uh, for you, Kirsten, meeting Julian was life-changing in the, in the sense that you guys put together this new dream, right? So talk to me a little bit about how how you guys met and, you know, what was, yeah, how did you guys meet? Tell our, tell our listeners that. We'll start there. So we, we met at work. We were starting on the same team at the same day. And uh, we started dating fairly quickly after we met, like a couple of months after we, after we met. But it's pretty uneventful around how we met. We just happened to walk into the same conference room at the same time. 
But after we got to know each other, you're absolutely right. Our two worlds collided. Our two worldviews collided. And there was a lot that I needed to learn uh, from Julian and quite a bit that he needed to learn from me. And so once we started having those conversations about money, we came to a worldview that was a combination of the both of ours. And it's been it's been incredible ever since. All right. So, Julian, talk to me about how you started getting interested in the fire movement. First, explain to our audience what that is. You know, what was going on in your mind? Like, how did this get introduced to you? Yeah. So the fire movement uh, actually started, uh, I want to say, in as, as early as the 70s, at least when it started to be uh, uh, called as such. But FIRE is an acronym for Financial Independence Retire Early. It really started to gain popularity online, obviously, with the uh, advance of technology and the internet and blogs and podcasts um, in the late uh, 2010s, um, which is right around when I found it, actually. Um, I think what really got me into it was, I think, like everybody else, uh, you, you know, I was... You know, I was in my young or low 30s and you you go through these points at work where you feel overqualified and undervalued for the work that you're doing. And you, you just sit in that work and you just think about whether or not you realistically could do this for another 30 years. And I think for a lot of people, the answer is absolutely not. I can't do this. Um, and then they jump ship and they go to another company thinking that the grass is greener. But you know, I think what a lot of those people realize or learn is that, you know, some things might be different, but you're still you're just dealing with a different color of, you know, work politics or a different brand of, of frustration. Or you're just kind of trading off one thing that um, doesn't necessarily make you happy for another thing. And so there's really no escaping it. Um, and what I really loved about the fire movement is that. There were no barriers to entry. It was really all about getting a really uh, strong grasp on your spending, getting really savvy and specific around uh, your investments and going hard in terms of, you know, saving and investing until you can reach a point where your income um, or your portfolio is is able for you to generate an income from it. Um, and you can do that also through side hustles or entrepreneurship or real estate. And to date, we've done a little bit of all of the above. So it really came out of a, a place of frustration. You know, I felt like I, I'd done everything right. I got the good job, but I was still really, really frustrated and I didn't like the person that I was becoming. And so I needed to figure out a pathway out of uh, feeling so stuck. So, you know, you were doing all this research, you were thinking to yourself, okay, this is something I could be a part of, I could do. How did you then introduce this new dream to Kirsten? It, it was not the most elegant way. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, because, you know, it, it wasn't something that I led with, you know, and, and she kind of alluded to it as well. Like, you know, when you're dating someone, you're meeting you know, a version of them, you know, you don't share every single part of yourself. And so the parts of myself that I wasn't sharing with her was like this kind of natural sense of saving and this natural frugality that I have that I think just, just came from one growing up in a Caribbean household and also growing up poor. Um, she was the exact opposite. She grew up in a more privileged environment and money was never like this elusive thing in her life. It was, it was always there. And it's not a bad thing. It's just, she had a completely different experience and I needed to learn from her, you know, what that was like. Um, and yeah, like it just, it, I mentioned it to her and we actually ended up getting into an argument 
um, which is what sparked, you know, the whole conversation. Um, and at first when I mentioned it to her, she thought I was crazy. Like, why would you, why would anybody voluntarily <laughs> decide not to spend money? Like if you can afford to, you know, get a nice car, you get a nice car. If you can afford to live in a nicer area, that's exactly what you should do because there are perks that come with that. Um, but what I was trying to explain to her was that, all of those feelings were temporary. You can live in a really, really nice house today, but I guarantee you three years from now, it's not going to seem as nice. Or if you get that really nice car, and even if it is your dream car, um, two years from now, there's going to be a new version of that dream car. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or that car may be costing you more than um, it's worth, and now you're stuck with it. You know. And so I just wanted to get to a point where we knew that even if we decided to change our minds about anything, that it wouldn't have an impact on our uh, financial stability or our ability to create generational wealth. All right. So, Kirsten, give me your side of the story now. Because, <laughs> you know, every, there's always two sides. Right. So, you know, how did it feel when when uh, Julian came to you with this idea? Because I think for a lot of us, sometimes it can be it can be nerve wracking. It can be scary. It can be, you know, there's all these emotions that may come up when someone introduces this new thing to us. Right. Yeah, that it felt foreign to me. The the things that he were ta- he was talking about felt like some other planet <laughs> type way of living. At the time, I had a ton of consumer debt, but I was also really optimistic about my career path. I had been told, you know, I was smart and there was a management trainee program and that in, you know, however many years after I climbed these, you know, ladders and and accomplished these things, I would be making a lot of money. And so I just felt like endlessly optimistic. Some of that is based on my religious upbringing, where I believe in concepts like abundance and faith, Mm -hmm. but I was doing it kind of blindly. (laughs) I had no evidence to support why I believed the things that I believed. And Julian was the first person to challenge me to say, what, what is the evidence of your beliefs? What is the evidence of you thinking that you know, you could be the next VP. Like, let's look at the org charts. Matter of fact, let's not just look at our org charts. Let's look at all of the neighboring companies that you think you could work at org charts. And it was kind of sobering to let go of something that I believed wholeheartedly, but it was also the best decision that I've made in my life. Um, Once we decided that things like, you know, spending money that you don't have (laughs) is not normal, is not going to be a normal thing for our house, everything got significantly easier for me the choices that were available to me were limited. And so there was there was a freedom in that. You know, when we think of fire, a lot of people feel like, you know, I can't do that. It's not possible for me. I don't have that much money. Is there really a starting point or do you feel like it's something that anyone can kind of start with and make some kind of progress with? I think anyone can embrace the principles, but I would never say that everyone or anyone could achieve financial independence. There are a lot of people that don't make uh, half of the income uh, that we make. Um, But with that said, there are also people who make significantly more than we do, but aren't able to actually save the money that we save on an annual basis. And so it, it really just depends. Everybody's financial situation is different, but I will say I've never met a person who was unable to spend less money, right? The real question is the degree of which you can spend less 
Um, and then on the income side, because everyone's skill sets or interests um, are different um, and even opportunities that surround them may be different, you know, then the question becomes, all right, what can we do to grow our income? It may not be that you go hard uh, at your job and position yourself for a raise. It may not be that you can invest in real estate because maybe you're in New York and the prices are so high, you're unable to do that. But the internet is wide open and there are tons of ways that you can earn income on the internet. Um, and even if you don't want to do that, if you just have good credit, you can leverage your credit um, to advance an entrepreneurial interest and so on and so on. And so, you know, that's where I start to remove a lot of the excuses because in terms of earning income today, there really are a, a lot more opportunities than there have ever been. Um, but even then, you've got to have the time to do it. And so, I say all of that to say it just depends. I, I think everyone and anyone can adopt some of the principles, um, but it does require a lot of strategy and, let's say, positive uh, circumstance in order to ultimately achieve financial independence. Yeah, and you know what's something when you you said the word mindset, the thing that uh, I automatically thought about. So, viewers or listeners, um, we are recording this now, uh, the end of March, amidst the COVID nineteen outbreak, right? And I really think this whole this whole crisis is forcing a lot of people to really consider like what's reconsider what's essential versus non essential, right? I feel like a lot of people. I don't know if you guys have seen this in your, in your own lives and your own social circles. They're really realizing a lot of the things that they were spending on probably weren't as essential as they needed right so <laughs> it's so important to really remember that it all starts with a mindset shift right yes it's all perspective it's funny you say that because my best friend doesn't cook at all like she eats all of her meals out at <laughs> all, like not even breakfast <laughs> not even breakfast like everything she she has a keurig so she can like make a cup of coffee but most of, I would say 90% of her meals are cooked by somebody else, but this has forced her to take on a different pattern. And for two weeks, she's been cooking for herself. And she's like, I guess I can do this. And it's like, yeah, I've been telling you that for five years. <laughs> like, why did it take a pandemic for you to turn your stove on? <laughs> like, oh, but, yeah. but it is about perspective. Sometimes, you know, you have to be forced into a situation and other times you can step into it willfully. But what we wanted to avoid was as many situations that we're forced into as possible. Like that's our definition of financial independence is I'm not forced to do anything. I can choose whether or not I want to work. I can choose whether or not I want to eat out, what kind of house I want to live in. But when you when you have constrained finances or when you have very limited savings, like there are some choices that you just don't have access to. You you are forced into certain circumstances. Let's put a date on stuff. So when what, what when was year one of uh, you guys' journey? Just so I can get the timeline right. 2012 was when we met. So that that would be year one of our collective journey. All right. So I mean, uh, when you guys decided you were going to embark on this financial, like the FIRE movement, was that also the same year? No, we started by paying down debt. Um, so we spent about two years paying off a lot of debt. And then once we were debt free, there's a number of paths that you can take on what you want to do with your life. And our decision was to continue saving all the money that we had been diverting towards paying off our debt. We decided to save and invest. And that would lead us to financial independence. 
in addition, in addition to purchasing uh, a rental property, we bought a rental yes. property in 2014. Um, and then our old primary residence we turned into our second rental. She probably forgot because we just sold both of them. <laughs> so right now we is it's, it's probably just like a couple days uh, fresh. We just sold all of our rental properties. Well, congratulations on that. I definitely made a note of that because I wanted to talk about that. Um, but, you know, in the beginning then, what was it like? you know, achieving this or, um, you know, on the road to going debt free, like talk us through some of the things that you guys collectively were doing in order to kind of get this debt down. A lot of, a lot of quarantining, a lot of social (laughs) distancing (laughs) before it was a, before it was a thing, but uh, real talk, like this pandemic best practices was exactly what we did to pay down our debt. We didn't eat out we cut cable, we reduced a lot of our expenses that's down to the essentials, and then we saved the rest. And at the time, the market was was uh, was growing, so mm-hmm. it was a little bit different than than right now. But um, yeah, we we cooked a lot at home. We cut out date nights when we did go out. We would eat a little, you know, pregame at the house before we went, <laughs> so that we weren't ordering like appetizers and dessert. We would drink before we went. Um, we would watch a lot of movies at home. We would take walks. What else did we do? Uh, that's about that's about <laughs> it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the real the you know the the real hard part, I guess, is is just pretending like you don't have the income because you know if you got a bonus, you got to really pretend like you didn't just see that extra check pop up in your account. Um, you know, if you got a tax refund, I'm just making up stuff now, but you mm-hmm. know, that's, that is the key. The key yeah. is to say, listen, we were making $60,000 and we literally did this exercise and I was like, all right, um, how, how happy are you? Right? Like, what does happiness feel like? And you put a number to it and say, all right, if we went out to eat two times more, would you be happier? If we took more uh, vacations, would you be happier? If you had, fancier shoes or a new car, you know, how much happier would those things be? Um, and so you, you really just kind of narrow it down and then you focus your income on the things that make you happy. And if it doesn't make you happy, like having a fancy cable package, then stop doing that. If having a bunch of, you know, clothes and, in in and shoes and those things don't make you happy, then stop doing it. If going to the club doesn't make you really happy and you don't like people bumping into you and touching you and you're a germaphobe, then stop going to the club. And so it was, it was, uh, once we got really clear on what made us happy or to use Mary Kondo, what brought us joy, joy <laughs> it was, it was really simple. Um, but it's not to say that it was easy because obviously yeah, there were frustrating not, moments. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there were times where, you know, things would be wrong at the house or you would just be tired of being at home. Um, and in those cases, we then would plan something that we knew would make us happy. And so we love to travel. We love to eat. And so we'd go to a nice restaurant. But the key is we're not doing that every week. We're not doing that every weekend. You know, it was like we do that when we really, really need it. Um, and in between those times, we were trying to make a cost effective decision. And, you know, I think, you know, I always ask people this question because I think it's something that, you know, can affect us, even if we want to say, like, I don't care what people think. But how did you deal with people in like your family, your social circles who were looking at you guys like y'all crazy? Or were there people who were like saying, OK, what are you doing? It's yeah. not necessary. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that that was probably the hardest part for me because, you know, Julian is five years, almost five years older than me. And so we were at different stages of life. And I was in the stage of life where my girls were still going out, still brunching, 
still, you know, going on girls trips and vacations and some were getting married. A few of us had babies, but not, you know, most of us didn't. And uh, there were things that made me happy socially (laughs) that I just could not afford at the time based on the goals that I had for, for our family. And so even the things that made me happy, I was still choosing not to do. But what got me through was just saying they were, I I would be able to do them one day. I'm just delaying it. I'm not doing it forever. I think whenever we're tackling, whenever we're tackling an aggressive financial goal, we tend to like extrapolate that circumstance to the rest of our lives. Like if you're paying down debt really heavily for three years, you don't think of it as just a three-year period. You think like, oh my God, I'm not going to have any friends by the time this is over. I'm going to be 65 and like sitting in my house with a bunch of cats. And that's just not true. Like if you can stay focused for a short period of time, three years later, you can go back to doing some of the things that you gave up for that moment. And that's kind of where I am now, where it's like now that we've achieved a lot of our financial goals, I have loosened the belt a little bit. I do hang out with the girls. I I did bring back brunches and girls trips and some of the things that I really missed. And they make me even more happy now because I can pay for them with cash. Mm. Instead of your credit cards, right? Say what? Instead of credit cards. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I really love that you guys both mentioned was this idea of like your financial goals and just the word goals. You you always refer to that. You know, I think it's hard for a lot of us to set goals, right? So how were you guys like, what was the mindset or what was your strategy for setting these financial goals? And then how did you keep yourself accountable? One of the benefits of the of the FIRE movement, I would actually say one of the, the, the greatest benefits is the FIRE community, the other people that are in it that share their lessons um, and um, provide feedback or just kind of share their stories so that you can get a general idea of what it feels like to make some of these decisions. Um, but at the root of one of the core lessons of the movement is this 4% rule, which is this old study, I believe it's called the Trinity study, that basically um, identified that if you can save up to 25x of what you spend um, on an annual basis and have that in a well-balanced portfolio that is generating steady returns in the stock market, that you can withdraw 4% uh, of that portfolio and essentially not run out of money for the foreseeable future. Um, and so what that does is it gave us a goal. It gave us milestones along the way and it said, all right, the goal is to get to 25. In our case, we're trying to get significantly past uh, 25. Um, and so you would have those goals and you could break that down however you want, annual goals or monthly quarterly, however you want to do it. And so that really kept us motivated um, because, you know, even if we're not using, let's say, some well thought out quantitative study, I think I think more most people should probably like be shocked, like when they think about the money that they've earned over, let's say, a 10 year period, let's say you've been working for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at your savings and say, wow, I I have fifteen thousand dollars in savings, but I've earned half a million dollars in the last 10 years, right? Like that, that's, that's indicative of a problem. Um, and it may not necessarily be a problem with spending. It could just be a, a problem with, with income as well, or it could be both. But I think that is a reality that just too many people have accepted. And that was something that we just did not want to accept, even though it's very normal <laughs> to accept that. And so we said, you know what, because we just couldn't wrap our head around that. Like, why is it that there are so many people that make so much money, but have so little to show for it at the end of the day? Uh, and so 
trying to avoid like that kind of horror or, or feeling was really part of what motivated us to um, stay focused on achieving our financial goals. Were there any other like tactical things? Like, did you guys have a sign up that you were like, okay, one more day Two, you know, like what was that just a real day to day reminder stuff that you were doing as well? Yes. So I'm a very visual person. I like visual milestones. And so we would buy these hundred day countdown books. I probably could have made it, but <laughs> as I found it on Amazon. Like I find everything on Amazon, but it's basically a hundred one to a hundred on a hundred sheets of paper. And I would, you know, stick it on the refrigerator. And when I get the book, I just go to random days and write like motivational messages. Like we got this, let's keep going. And every day I would tear one off and and put it in the trash. And I would know that at the end of the hundred days, we would achieve some level of, of financial milestone. Um, the other thing we did was as soon as we got paid, we moved the money to where we said it was going to go. So we didn't even give ourselves a chance to spend it on something else. It was automated without being completely automated, just because we were still trying to anticipate things that may come up. You know, we didn't want to assign every dollar and automate every dollar. But if we got paid on Thursday by Friday morning, the money had been sent to either pay off debt or in one of our investment accounts or in a savings account for travel and so we just, we didn't have it sitting around, okay. which is really cool. So by 2014, you guys were debt-free, right? Yes. Uh, except for our mortgage at that point. Okay. Um, when did the rich, when did you decide to start documenting the process and then build the rich and regular community? We started 2017. thinking about it okay. <laughs> as, as early as 2015 um, on our honeymoon. Um, we were just like away and just like thinking about like what life would be like. And, and we knew actually that there were lots of other people because we'd followed and read their blogs um, and we saw how impactful it was. Um, but honestly, we also knew that a lot of those blogs were not speaking from an African-American um, or black perspective. And so we wanted other people to experience the benefits of the lifestyle that that we were living. And we knew that in order to attract them, we needed to kind of speak and, and, and share our experience. And so um, it was either that or we would just wait for somebody else to do it. And so we decided that we wanted to be uh, the sort of change that we wanted to see um, out there on the internet um, and start sh- telling our stories. So we started thinking about it in 15. We didn't launch our blog until 2017, September 2017. Okay. So what was it like, actually? Because you know, I think this is interesting, right? You guys are had these goals. Now you're like, all right, let me add something else to the mix. At this point, you guys, Julian, were you still working? Because I know, uh, Kirsten, you recently quit your job, right? Yes. Okay. A month ago. All right. So, uh, Julian, at this point, you were still working too, right? Yeah. 2017, I was still working. We were still working for the same company. Okay. So how did, like, what was that whole process like or embarking on, you know, launching the blog and figuring out how you guys wanna, were going to build community and get your message out there? It was fascinating because um, the, the the big thing was that we knew that people just did not like to talk about money. And even today, people don't like to talk about money. It's a very personal thing. It is a social and cultural taboo. And so um, we were up for the challenge. It was like, all right, how do we talk about money without talking about money? How do we you know, weave these little financial nuggets into just telling our story? Um 
so that we can purposely intrigue people? Um, and then also, how do we just tell the truth about some of the frustrations of working in a corporate environment? And so what was also fascinating was that, um, sorry, let me be specific, Talk, working in a corporate environment as a black person. Because um, it's, exactly, it's different. It's different, right? Different, right? That's, that's, different. that's what we were talking about. Um, and it, it was fascinating because, like, the response was like, wow, finally somebody said it, you know? Um, and I think that there were a lot of people that were like nervous. They were like, man, there's no way you'll get promoted, you know, talking like that, putting people on blast. And we weren't like being messy, but we were being honest about our experience, about some of the microaggressions, about some of the, um, you know, times where we felt dismissed or, you know, like just kind of judged or, you know, stereotyped, like it, 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 it's real and we deal with it and we, you know, bottle it up and we bring it home and we just didn't think that that was fair. And so we wanted our, our blog to not just be a place where we, um, found ways to, you know, educate people about the financial concepts, but also be a place where they can feel heard and seen. And because, you know, when you work in those environments, oftentimes you feel muted, you can't, Mm-hmm. Um, tell the truth. You can't say what it is, even though you might be seeing it and feeling it every single day. Um, and so over time, as we kept on doing it, um, what was really interesting is that some of our biggest followers were actually some of our coworkers who were following on the low. So how did you find out that they were? They would they come were up fun. to me. Okay. They would come up to me or they would see, you know, Kirsten in the elevator and be like, oh, my God, I, I felt seen. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know? Open enrollment time. I get a few more emails like, what, what benefits are you signing up for? Yeah. How should I do my 401k? Should I do, you know, deferred um, compensation? Like. Yeah. Folks would want to do lunch and pick your brain about real estate investments and what they should do and that sort of thing. And so it was really cool. Um, but it also proved that point that when it comes to money, for some reason, so many of us treat it like it's a secretive conversation. Like I can't, you know, it's like, man, people will tell you, you know, and I apologize for anybody that might be offended by this, but like people will tell you how many people they slept with before they tell you how much money they make. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so what we were really tapping into is like this this cultural and social stigma that is attached to money and how that stigma gets in the way of people actually making better financial decisions. So then, you know, that that was a good segue to my next question, which was like, what do you think talking about money then? does for people like what kind of changes did you see for your followers or even within yourself in just launching this like how did this further your own goals I think for me it just allowed me to see money as a tool that could improve my quality of life mm-hmm. like I had always heard money is a tool but I, I thought it was to just buy things like I could buy nicer things <laughs> with my with my tool but when I uh, when I started to understand the principles of fire and when I started to see money as a problem solver for bigger issues in my life, like the fact that I always feel time starved, I never feel like I have enough time. <laughs> and when I realized that, you know, it's not because my son didn't act the way that I wanted him to in the hour that I had with him or that my husband didn't greet me the way I wanted him to in the 20 minutes we saw each other in the morning. It was like this big thing, this work, this work taking up 10 hours of my day when you, you know, add in the commutes and the emails after hours and, you know, just the amount of mind space that it was taking up. It's like, oh, that's why I don't have enough time. Well, if I can use money to, to save and invest in a, in a responsible way, then I can get rid of work as this 
you know, time block. I can create my own business or just live off my portfolio and, and own my time again. Mm -hmm. For you, Julian, was there anything that this was, you know, opening up about what talking about money could do for you? Yeah, it, it liberated me from a lot of old ideas. And I think the biggest one was how broken the traditional labor model is this idea that you get a salary which many people have been taught is a great thing, an amazing thing. Um, but the, the, the frustrating part is despite how hard you work or how impactful you are, your salary doesn't necessarily grow or, or reflect that. Now, for some people, you know, let's say you're in a sales role or a commission-based role, it works that way. But that also comes with some risk. Um, but what was just frustrating is that, you know, if you get paid, even if you get paid, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, it's not get paid six figures. And it's like, yeah, but you get paid six figures to do multi-million dollar work. And that just wasn't something that uh, I felt comfortable with anymore. And I got uh, and grew tired of playing small. Um, and we tell people this all the time. If you believe that you truly are the person that you described on your LinkedIn profile, well, then you need to put your money where your energy is and where your intellect is. And you need to invest more in you. And that's not, you know, to to, you know, down people who are in jobs because jobs do serve a purpose. Um, but jobs, I believe, need to be put in their place. They're not the end all be all. They are uh, a means to an end. Um, and if you don't take control of your own trajectory. Unfortunately, you're giving that control to somebody else who does not have you or your family's best interests at heart. What inspires you then to say bye-bye career, bye-bye job? Um, actually, very similar to what I just said, what inspired me to um, to, to ultimately leave my job is when I realized that I didn't need it anymore and that there wasn't as much value in the paycheck. I was making great money, but it had become a source of stress that just did not match the 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 take home pay that I was having, I was like, I believed that I was better than what uh, that job was paying me, um, and I was willing to bet on myself. And I think it's worked out in our favor. We've been able to um, generate income um, and not have an income cap on the business that we have. The more work we do, or the better work that we do, or the more we can charge for the work that we do. Um, and, and we can afford to even go through down periods because we have cash on hand um, or other means of earning income. Um, and I think, you know, going back to your earlier statement about things that we all realize um, because you could, you could mention it as an unexpected benefit to this pandemic. But I think anyone that goes to work and feels like they're wasting their time, you know, because they only do like two hours of work like this pandemic is revealing that, right? It's like, you're absolutely right because you're just as productive as you were when you were getting up, getting a shower, fighting through traffic, going to work, exposing yourself to people with germs, mm -hmm. getting frustrated, coming home, you know, only having 20 minutes to watch an episode or something before you got a shower, eat something and, and, and do it all over again, right? Um, this pandemic is showing that actually you're, you're, you know, for a lot of people, not everyone, that you're just as productive. And so, you know, it it was a bit of a relief for me um, that we that we were able to invest in our ideas. Um, and, and to Kirsten's earlier point, it, it also had just an impact on a uh, positive impact on our family dynamic. You know, yeah, Kirsten, I wanted to ask you then, like, you know, you guys are both co-drivers in this dream, right? Um, how did it feel when when Julian Julian left his job? Like, was it 
kind of something you wish you could have done too, but you know it wasn't the right time? Like, what was your mindset during this period? Yeah, it was definitely something I wish we could have done together, but that was such a fleeting thought. My initial feeling was a feeling of pride. Like, yes, yes, I'm the breadwinner. I can support a household. My man can go, you know, fulfill our dream and I'll bring home the bacon and, you know, everything will be just fine. But what I what I underestimated was how much he would change when he no longer was exposed to, you know, a a work environment that was toxic, like how much he would return to be his true self and become a lot more (laughs) direct and honest and curious about the world because he had more time to do those things and how how I how I didn't. And so our worldview was just so different you know, after a year and a half of him not working and me still going through the routine, that it was becoming a a problem in our marriage. It was causing communication issues. I was feeling very defensive when he would ask, you know, what should be an innocent question? Like it shouldn't be taboo to ask me if my work environment is toxic or why I think I need good luck before a meeting or why I'm staying up all night working on a presentation, even though I'm not the one giving it. Like those shouldn't be bad questions, but I would, I would feel really defensive. And, um, we knew something needed to change fairly quickly. And it took me a while to realize that I had the power to, to leave as well. So I was going to ask you then, like, what did you do then to start putting that, those, you know, putting that into place so that you could leave? I started to ask myself different questions. So for a long time, I told myself I couldn't leave because we weren't going to hit this financial goal that we had. So we were planning on me working for another year and a half, year, year and a half. Um, So my salary was going to be the thing that like, you know, tipped us over into financial independence and we could leave and be full-time entrepreneurs knowing that, you know, we have a, a very full portfolio and if the business didn't work, then it, at least it was a good try. And so when I started, when I was holding myself accountable to that, I started asking myself different questions around, you know, entrepreneurship. Do I believe that there are people who start businesses without having a lifetime's worth of money saved up? (laughs) The answer is obviously yes. Do I believe um, that what's really at risk here is my ego and not the financial wellness of my family? Answer there is yes. Like we, we, we did a lot of things right. And so money was not going to be an issue whether or not our business took off or anything. Um, did I believe that my marriage could improve with this decision? hundred percent. Yes. Do I believe I could be a better mom to my son if I had more time? hundred percent. Yes. And so when I started asking myself different questions versus holding myself to a standard that I had created, you know, five years prior to becoming a mother, becoming a wife, becoming someone who has this business and, you know, has, has met all of these people who do the things that I want. I, I, it, the answer was easy. It's like, oh, I just need to go on and type up that little resignation and and leave. Yeah. So it's been a month, you said, since you uh, you quit, right? Yep. How how does it feel now? Like, what you know? I love talking to people when they first make that that quit. Like, how how do you feel now? <laughs> you know, if it weren't for this pandemic, I'd probably <laughs> feel much better. Um, I I don't. I don't know how I feel. Okay. I that's, am, that's real. That's real. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm grateful that I am not worried about a job right now. Like I'm grateful that I, I don't have the stress of knowing, you know, wondering whether or not the layoffs that happen next week are going to affect me. Um, and I'm saying next week generally, cause people are getting laid off every week at this point, yeah. but 
yeah, I, I'm grateful with for that, but I still worry about the same things that everybody else worries in addition to their their job. I worry about my parents. I worry about my my cousins and my siblings. Um, I worry about, you know, just the 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 entire mental health of the nation right now with all this toxicity and and misinformation on the news. And so I I don't know. I, I will say the one benefit is that, you know, when I when I quit, I wanted to develop a different relationship with time. I wanted to f- truly feel like I had seven days a week, 24 hours, and that weekends were as arbitrary as like a Wednesday or a Thursday, because that's the benefit of being a business owner. You can make your weekends Monday, Tuesday, if you want, like hair, like hairstylists do, <laughs> and and work the weekends if you want. Um, and I will say that this pandemic has accelerated that. Like I have completely lost track of what I day think everyone has. Like what is <laughs> <Yeah>. today? <laughs> and I'm glad that everyone has because it allows you to reset like what work is and what it has to be. Does it have to be a five day work week in the office? Like this is teaching us that no, it doesn't. It can probably be three or four days and maybe just longer, or it can be spread over the week or it can be a part-time thing. Like it's, it's resetting a lot of old outdated assumptions about work. And those were the reasons that I quit. Like I, I probably could have kept doing my job had my employer been willing to be more flexible, but since they weren't, it was kind of like, well, then I don't have to do this. Yeah. I really wonder, let's say like, you know, by the end of this year, what will our economy look like? Like our work economy look like our job economy? economy because I feel like what's going to happen is people who are doing their jobs at home well are not going to want to go back exactly I really feel like there's going to be people who are like I could keep doing this from home you know um it's going to be really interesting I definitely think that yeah I hope all those people have the courage to say that because they can change the dynamic of the workplace just by expressing the fact that they don't want to go back like the, empl- the the employee has the power here. If everybody aligns, and we're seeing this with some of the gig economy workers from Instacart to Amazon and the demands they're making of their employers, using the word employer loosely, but of these mm-hmm. platforms that you know are are deploying them out, we can all demand better for ourselves, and we should. Like we should not come out of this pandemic and go back to the way that things were when the government and systems and institutions have proven that there is an alternative that they can pretty quickly access. It does not require much. In four weeks, we've seen the landscape of work and government flip on its head and we shouldn't allow it to just flip back because it was broken before this. I am with you on that one. Um, You know, as we think about our dream drivers may be at different stages of their own journeys, right? What are some general like financial wellness tips that you guys can share from your own journeys about, you know, things that we can do right now uh, to start just being better financially, you know, to really put our financial health on, on the forefront. What are some of your practical tips that anyone can kind of do right now? Get comfortable living on significantly less than you make. And so a lot of people have, um, been given this rule of thumb of 5%, save 10%. Um, and you can do that over, let's say, a 30, 40 year period, and then you'll retire a millionaire. The reality is you are assuming you will always make uh, the kind of income that you're making or more uh, during that time, or you're assuming that your health will always uh, be what it is today or better, or you're assuming that your family or loved ones will always um, you know, be there and that there won't be any interruptions. And the reality is that those are just faulty assumptions. And so 
Um, the reason why we're able to walk away from our jobs and grow our business steadily, the reason why Kirsten was able to do that um, is because we've grown accustomed to living on less than we make. And so we know that if push ever came to shove, we could very easily do that. And so we can be um, picky um, about the opportunities that we explore um, or make a determination as to whether or not we even feel like working. Um, we haven't even hit our number yet, but we're already starting to um, experience the benefits of the freedom that comes along with not needing to work for income. And so um, I would also say, especially for someone that is driven, most likely all of your listeners are like really focused um, uh, people. Um, I think those type of people have a tendency to give themselves too much credit in terms of their work ethic. If there's one thing they know is that they can work hard. But the problem with that is you don't know your threshold oftentimes until you've already passed it. Um, and so I would say focus on your health, um, make that a priority. Don't don't make that something that you are trying to correct on the back end. Make it something that um, sustains you throughout your particular journey. I love those. Kirsten, anything you want to add? Um, I would say the best investment that you can make right now in these volatile, uncertain times would be in your brain. So if you have mm. not adopted mindfulness or meditation or something else that allows you to manage your thoughts, I would highly recommend it. There's a bunch of free apps, there's paid for apps, or you can just go silent and, and start to be the observer of your thoughts. But now is not the time to be unmanaged and, and reckless because there's a lot of bad information out there and you want to be able to see a thought in your head, feel the feelings that come with it, and then dismiss it and stay the course and do the things that are going to get you to the other side of this time. Do you guys have any other, uh, what, like, what are your favorite um, apps or resources that you've used beyond your own platform, right, <laughs> um, that you'd want to share with our audience that you feel like, you know, good tools to look into? For financial tools? Or? Yeah, yeah, financial tools. Um, we use an app called Personal Capital. It allows us to track our net worth at any given time. Um, that's the one metric that we care most about right now is just our, our net worth. There are also like budgeting apps. There's one called You Need a Budget, which has a, um, a fee to it. So it's not free, but people who use You Need a Budget swear by it. When I was budgeting and paying down debt, I actually used Mint, which still exists um, and is a great app. It's kind of like it's kind of annoying because you can set up all these alerts and notifications and it will tell you the minute you go over <laughs> any category in your budget. But if you need that, then, you know, it's, it's a great resource. There are also like lots of calculators online. I don't know why people don't use like the calculators more often, but calculators that help you figure out how much interest you're paying over time. So if you have a car note or student loans or, um, any sort of revolving debt, I would look up uh, one of the apps to see how much holding on to that debt is costing you. And then you can go into a, a more uh, informed decision about what to do with it, whether to pay it off quickly, snowball it, refinance it, consolidate it. Like you have options with your debt, but you need to be informed around, you know, how to calculate what it's costing you before you choose. All right. Um, you know, as we kind of close out this interview, I'd love for you guys to reflect on what you think has been the biggest non-financial obstacle you personally had to overcome. You know, what were your tips? Like, how did you get through that? 
Um, what would you recommend for others who also might be experiencing that as well? That is a very deep question. Um, but I can tell you that the biggest non-financial obstacle I had to overcome um, as a wealth builder uh, is some is is this feeling that I was leaving my friends and family behind. Um, it was like a monkey on my back and it was the thing that would make me um, almost slow down or not explore opportunities or take advantage of things uh, when they came knocking because I knew, uh, for being honest, the richer I became, the wider my world became. Um, and I felt like I was just leaving people behind. Um, a lot of the people that I know are uh, working class uh, or working poor, um, and they've not had the opportunities that I've had. And so I, I really, really struggled with that. Um, and everybody's situation is different. Um, but in a few cases in particular, I had to overcome this idea that I was leaving people behind and accept the fact that some people decided to stand still. Um, there, there were some people who had and were right there, right next to me and had the opportunity to go left. But instead, they went right um, or decided to stand still. Uh, and so I had to really um, come to grips with that and, and not feel guilty for the things that I was doing or feel guilty for the gains that um, I'd made over the last 15, 20 years. Hey, that was a good answer. Thank you. <laughs> it was, it was. I think that that applies for a lot of us in any dream driving, right? It's always this idea of like, who who can't come with me, but you can't focus on that or you'll go nowhere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think mine is is related. Um, I think mine, it was just a struggle with this need for external validation. And that manifested in my finances by the purchases that I made. I would make luxury purchases and I would eat at the finest places and always be, you know, best dressed and first. But it also uh, manifested in the decisions that I was making and whose approval I was seeking before I would do something that I knew would benefit my life or me selfishly. And so how I've overcome that is just really small ways. Mindfulness has helped like meditation every day, just being able to more clearly manage my mind, but also taking small steps, um, being selfish about 15 minutes or 30 minutes or making decisions for myself without running them by anybody for, for thoughts first. Um, and then dealing with those consequences by myself, whether they were positive or negative. No, thank you guys so much for sharing your journey, your story. Um, tell our listeners where they can find Rich and Regular, where they can learn more about you uh, guys online. Give us all your details. Yeah. So where our blog is at richandregular.com. We're also on Instagram is our most like active social platform at Rich and Regular. We have a Twitter, a Facebook, a Pinterest, and YouTube. a YouTube, <laughs> all at Rich and Regular. Oh, I do have one last question. I think, you know, you guys have a son, right? How do you feel or how do you hope his life changes or it, how do you how do you hope you are impacting his life based upon the decisions that you both are making today? Yeah, he turns three in about a couple in a week. And um, I think the biggest thing for me is being able to show him things in real life. And I just know when I was a kid, 
you know, there were things that you would see in a book or things you might see on TV, but you would never actually experience those things. It wasn't until like my 20s um, and 30s. Uh, when I actually just got a chance to see some of the things that I'd only ever heard of. And so I, I look forward to, you know, we want to, I, I don't care what it is, you know, she, Kirsten thinks I'm crazy when I, when I mention it, but like, you know, just doing a road trip around the country, let's go see the Grand Canyon in a car, which is just a very different experience. And this doesn't mean that we always have to ride in a car. We can, you know, <laughs> ride in a car, you know, and then fly or, you know, decide to camp here or stay in a hotel there, but just giving him, um, you know, first person experience with, with, with the world and different people and different cultures in different sites, like giving him an opportunity to actually see and smell and touch those things as opposed to just hearing about it and expecting him to understand what those things are. I think that's that's a gift that would, would certainly, I think, would have shaped um, my childhood uh, and made me a completely different person. And so we're hoping that we can do that uh, for him. Uh, well, oh, you know what? I, I don't I forgot a whole segment, guys. Sorry about this. Um, <laughs> at the end. Okay. If you want to be a dream driver, Julian and Kirsten, you know that you have to have your keys to success, right? So what would you guys say are three things that every dream driver needs in their toolkit before they hit the road? Um, I'll start with, because I kind of mentioned this earlier, courage, which is, I'm defining it as the audacity to believe that you're worth incrementally more than your current position. And so that's my wish for everyone coming out of COVID-19 pandemic is the courage to say what you learned, what, what this revealed to you, to your, not just to your friends, but say it to your employers, say it to your local government, say it to your federal government, say it with your dollar, say it with your vote. Like we need to, we can, we can shift the culture, but we all need to have the courage to say it. Um, I am uh, a born Jamaican. And so I'm going to say, discipline uh that comes pretty easily to me but um you know i think just like the idea of having the the stamina the emotional stamina uh to deal with the people in your life who may not necessarily support your dreams um we i think oftentimes we have this tendency to expect or require the people in our lives to fully support and express you know 100% approval of this these dreams that we have um, and the reality is those people just want you to be safe. And oftentimes being safe means you standing still. And so you have to be emotionally prepared to go against um, the, the point of view that some of the people that may love you the most uh, have with respect to your dreams. I love it. Um, anything that you guys together can think of? Or we can just go with two. Let's just go with two to make it easy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Julian and Kirsten. This has been such an enlightening conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I really hope that our dream drivers as well take away a lot from this and know that like anything's achievable, right? Anything's possible. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. All right, so that's a wrap for episode 239 with Julian and Kirsten. I hope you enjoyed hearing their dream driving journey as well as their keys to success. And if you enjoyed this episode, guys, if you enjoyed, you know what I'm going to say. Please make sure that you share this. Screenshot it, post it to Instagram stories, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you are online. You can find us across the board, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dreams and Drive. And make sure you're using the hashtag Dreams and Drive when sharing. 
Please make sure that you're also subscribed. If you love this episode, this was your first time listening, you want to make sure you get future Dreams and Drive episodes. So hit subscribe wherever player you're listening to this on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. I want to make sure that you guys are really enjoying future content. And then you can also go back to previous content and enjoy the 238 episodes prior to this one. If you want to get our weekly newsletter, The Keys, just go to www.dreamsanddrive.com slash join to sign up. That's dreamsanddrive.com slash join. And for people who are wondering about how they can support Dreams and Drive, I always give options. You can go to dreamsanddrive.com slash donate, or you can shop the Dreams and Drive shop online. That's www.dreamsanddrive.com slash shop to get your Dreams and Drive t-shirts, crew neck sweatshirts, and dreams and drive aprons i love seeing y'all rocking y'all did gear and all the cool colors and our classic red and black so please make sure you go online and support i really do appreciate it guys so this episode is dropping on may 18th and uh middle of the week may 20th is actually my birthday i'll be turning 29 so i'm really excited about that just giving you guys that info if anybody wants to know i'll be turning 29 on the 20th I'm super excited. This year is almost halfway over and there's so many lessons, so many things that I've learned about myself, about my future, about what I'm capable of. And I really do hope that all of you guys are staying safe, staying well, and also keeping the dream alive, whether you are in park, reverse, neutral or drive, y'all. I really do appreciate you. I really am here to support. I'm cheering you on virtually. And just remember, keep going no matter what you are doing, no matter how you feel. Just know that the dream doesn't have to die. You can keep it alive. All right. Keep dreaming. Keep driving. And we'll chat again in episode 240. Bye, guys. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.